We're looking into the future to a time when the final Antichrist will emerge and many will fall for his lies. However, in the end, God will defeat him. Hear all about it next on Light on the Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is you. If you're like a lot of believers, you have questions about the end times. Perhaps you wonder what is revealed in Scripture about the final Antichrist or what will occur during the Great Tribulation. The book of Daniel answers some of this for us, and that's where we'll be today on Light on the Hill. We're near the end of Pastor James Cadiz's study of Daniel, and today we'll start off in chapter 11 at verse 40. Look at what it goes on to say as we jump into verse 40. It says, And at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall uh, come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. We'll talk about this in a minute because now we're talking about the beginning of a war. By the way, I want to make something very clear to you because I know that there is a lot of confusion with respect to these wars. Let me tell you what this this war is not. This is not the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39, okay? Ezekiel 38 and 39 has already happened at this point. I think that that's an important distinction to be able to tell you guys. It's already happened. This is a war that is happening just before the second coming of Christ, okay? That's what this is. And remember, the second coming of Christ is not the rapture. The rapture happens, then the second coming of Christ happens at the end of the tribulation period, okay? So we're talking about two completely different instances. And with respect to the wars that we're reading about here, we're also talking about, and this is an important distinction for us to be able to make, we're also talking about different wars here. We are not talking about the same war of Ezekiel 38 and 39. One thing I should probably also say with respect to the Antichrist and the maneuvering that he's going to do and so on and so forth is the treaties that he is signing here, I promise you, is going to involve a lot of concessions by a lot of people. And people are going to give up a lot to be able to get uh, what they want, which in essence is going to be a lasting peace. And the Antichrist is going to bring an appearance of that. And it's funny too, the modern Jews reject the idea that Jesus in any way or in any fashion could actually be the Messiah. And the reason for that is because they believe that the Messiah would never be the son of God, right? However, the Jews back in the day of Christ, they completely accepted the fact that the Messiah would be the son of God because they read passages like the Psalms. They understood passages like Isaiah. They understood the promises of all of these things where they knew that the Messiah would be the son of God. It's a very big different thing. If you go to a Jew today and you ask them, how are you going to know that the Messiah is here? What the Jew will tell you, this is what they'll tell you almost every single time without exception and not blink. You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to say, um, we'll know that he's the Messiah when he can build us our temple. That's exactly what they're going to do. So a lot of people say, well, how are they going to accept him as a Messiah when he's a Gentile? Easily. Because their condition 
for the acceptance of the Messiah has nothing to do with the roots of their forefathers and the tracing back to their identity in that sense. The idea, their prerequisite for who the Messiah is going to be is a political savior, in essence, who is going to be able to broker peace with Arab nations and at the same time is going to be allow them to be able to build their temple. Now, mind you, that would have to be a very significant thing because that would mean they would have to destroy the mosque that's sitting on the golden dome because I believe that the temple will be built right on top of where that mosque is. They'll have to destroy that mosque and they'll have to erect the temple, which by the way, is an impossibility right now. It's a complete impossibility. When you look at the new peace treaty that was signed between the UAE and Bahrain and Israel, one of the predicates of this peace treaty is the freedom to be able to go to the Temple Mount and to be able to worship at the mosque and to be able to, you know, the Jews to be able to do what they're going to do freely and to just have this free exchange of diplomatic relationships, which all are going to happen. And what's very interesting about that is there is no real concession of land. There is no real concession of sovereignty in any area, which is very, very interesting. A lot of people, by the way, say, oh, no, President Trump is horrible because this peace treaty divides Jerusalem. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What this peace treaty says is we are going to give a portion of Jerusalem or allow them to have a portion of Jerusalem, which they call East Jerusalem, which by the way, to every single Jew out there on the face of the earth, they will all tell you that East Jerusalem is not Jerusalem. They'll all tell you that. Right, But what the president is doing is he's making a concession for the Palestinians for a two-state process. And basically the whole idea is if you want a two-state process, you can have part of Jerusalem when in reality it's not Jerusalem. Now the Palestinians know that. The Palestinians don't care because they'll never accept it. And the president is remarkably brilliant because in his brilliance, let me tell you exactly what he did, you guys. He was smart. He knew the Palestinians would never accept it. And every single person president, every single world leader, every single person before him said, it is impossible to get a peace treaty in the Middle East, completely impossible to get a peace treaty in the Middle East, unless a particular concession is made and accepted by the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Everybody says that. Trump did it. And he did it without that. Here's the history. Let me tell you why. Okay. You got to hit the rewind button all the way to 2014, 2015 or so when President Obama made the disgusting, horrible mistake of signing the worst deal that's ever been signed in the Middle East. They called it a peace deal. It was not a peace deal. It was disgusting. It basically said, Iran, we're going to enable you to build your nuclear weapons, and we're going to pay you $150 billion plus dollars to be able to do it in American currency, in cash. We're going to give you literally, probably had to have been like six or seven plane loads filled with I mean, more than that. I mean, it was, who knows? I mean, it, I, I, the amount of money to be able, it's crazy just to think about how much money that was. It was plane loads full, plane loads full right, that he gave to them. He dumped that currency into that economy and he said, here you go. And it enabled them greatly. President Trump comes into the picture and President Trump has a meeting with everybody in Saudi Arabia. And this is very interesting as he goes to the Middle East for his first meetings, set of meetings in the region, the royal family in Saudi Arabia basically says, hey, listen, we need to have a conversation with you, President Trump. President Trump says, uh, 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 I'm 
going to tee you guys first because I want to have a conversation with you, okay? It was my intention to come to you guys first, so hold, sit tight. I'm not going to Israel first. I'm going to you, which, by the way, was a huge gesture for all of the Arab nations in the Middle East. The first time a U.S. president, a sitting U.S. president, is going to go and have a conversation with somebody, he's going very specifically to the Arab nations and not to Israel for a stated intent and purpose, and he goes. Hence, we hit the fast-forward button. We get to July of 2017, and you remember the news footage? He goes over there, all the sheikhs are kissing him, and Mohammed bin Shoylamin is hugging him, and they're all, they all just love him, right? And he goes and he sits down, and he has a meeting with 50 of these world leaders in the uh, Middle East, the Arab leaders. And he sits down at the table, and he says this. I want you to know two things. He says, number one, I stand with you against Iran. I stand with you against Iran. And at that point, the very moment he said that, by the way, there was the beginning of a paradigm shift. The beginning of a paradigm shift in the actual geopolitical process associated with the United States foreign policy in the Middle East. So he says that. Then he says, I want to take a message back to Israel and I want to build economic relationships between you both. And then he says this, I'm not blowing smoke your way, and I'll show you evidence of the fact that what I say is real. And he immediately dismantles the Iran deal. He completely takes it apart. He says, I have no desire to be able to do this. Then he stands Amen to that. Then he stands in front of, no joke, he stands in front of all of these people again to say, I will do everything in my power as the president of the United States. By the way, with Benjamin Netanyahu by his side, he stands in front of the whole world and he says, I will do everything in my power as the president of the United States to not only sanction Iran for what Iran has done, but to also open up the doors for a two-state solution in Israel. Now, anybody who understood President Trump's foreign policy and understood exactly what he was doing would have went bravo and would have clapped and would have said, this is a great thing. There were a lot of Christians at the time that actually didn't like it. They were very angry. They thought that Netanyahu was a compromiser and so on and so forth. You know what he actually did, guys? This is what he did. He basically told the whole world that he was going to open up the doors for a two-state solution. And unlike every president before him, he actually put a viable deal in front of him that the prime minister of Israel actually agreed to. And you know what they did? They did exactly what he knew they would do. They rejected it. Then he added more concessions to it. And you know what they did? They rejected it. And the president knew that they would reject it. Then he goes back to all of those world leaders in the Arab world leaders and he says, listen, guys, I've put this on the table and it appears as though no one's going to accept this. So I just want you to know right now, we're moving forward. And if you'd like to move forward with us, you're going to get great economic benefit in doing it. Come and join us. Let's do a deal together. Let's work this out. And guess what? The royal family of Saudi Arabia basically gave the go-ahead. They said, okay, it's time for our people to start dealing with it. And then, of course, you know the story of Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, who was the first person who stood up of the UAE, who basically said, okay, we'll be the first to step up to the plate. What a lot of people don't realize was there was already 
informal diplomatic relationships that existed between the UAE and with Israel, especially when the beginning of the coronavirus took place because they were helping each other, economically speaking, and being able to deal with the things that they needed to deal with to go buy things, and they were also helping each other with respect to energy concessions. And the President of the United States said, why in the world are you guys messing with uh, Northern Europe? Why are you allowing all of this stuff to happen with Russia and so on and so forth? Listen, start making deals with your neighbors here. You've got all kinds of money that's going to be able to come your way. And guess what? The Arab nations began to recognize that the Palestinians were never going to change their mind and they were going to do whatever they were going to do. And for the rest of their existence, they're going to continue to try to make noise as protesters that have nothing to protest and are going to continue to be loud and crazy. And they decided, you know what? We're jumping in on this process. And then that's when, of course, like I said, the formal peace treaty process came in with Ben Zaid. He comes in. And then what's very interesting interesting, by the way, is the moment the UAE comes in, and I said it, guys, I told you, I said, I called it, you can get me on record, I said, I promise you, Bahrain is coming in next, right? And I still say this, I bet you we're going to have several different nations that are going to be coming in. If Saudi Arabia isn't next, it's going to be Qatar. If Qatar isn't next, then it's going to be Kuwait. They're going to all start coming in. And as they start coming in, they're going to recognize, hey, listen, we've, we've put something out on the table for the Palestinians. As a matter of fact, what people don't recognize is in the peace accord, there is still an open door that's left for the Palestinians. But the Palestinians, if they're good at one thing, they're good at destroying a perfect deal. And so that's what they continue to do. And that's exactly what's been happening. So what's interesting about all of what's been happening and why this is so unique for Bible prophecy and for the end times, is it sets up what we're understanding or going to know is going to take place in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And also it could be setting us up for potentially, I'm not saying that it, this is for sure, but it could be a very small part of a massive treaty that the Antichrist makes that he strengthens, the covenant that he strengthens with many. Right, And there are some people who are making some mistakes. I heard somebody on the radio the other day who made the erroneous statement that it's one covenant that uh, Antichrist makes with Israel. That's not what the Bible says, right? That he's basically going to be strengthening a covenant that is made with many. Right. And so, uh, again, this is a misappropriation of what the facts are in the scriptures. And then people come to the wrong conclusions. But this peace treaty is actually good for a lot of things. Look, at the bare minimum, aren't we told to pray for peace in Jerusalem? Right? So why wouldn't we be happy when we find another element that makes Jerusalem that much more peaceful? You guys get that? So there's so much here to this, but the Antichrist, the final Antichrist is going to be the direct opposite of all of this. He might make a certain treaty here or there, but as we're finding out, what he is going to do, you guys, is he is going to be the, a warmonger, basically, right? So um, what we just read as we read in verse 40, I'll read it one more time since I just offered you guys a lot of explanation as into the background behind this. It says, at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north shall come against him. Again, I'm not so sure I can tell you who the king of the south is and the king of the north here is, right? Some people say, oh, this is Russia. But even if it is Russia, it's not the Russia of Ezekiel 38. It's just not. And so that's why I think it's probably not. I'm not really sure because remember, the geopolitical environment is going to be completely 
completely different at the time that the Antichrist has assembled what he has assembled. There, initially, there's world peace that's going on, right? So um, they're going to come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. In other words, there are going to be people that are going to grow despondent about all the many things that are going on. If you, By the way, if you go and you read in the book of Revelation what's happening at this time, look, the world is dying literally dying, right? The population is coming to an end through the judgment of God. And so these nations are growing with great displeasure and they come against the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, the Bible says, rolls them over, literally runs them over, literally. Uh, let me just simply tell you guys this. Please, if you're listening to me, you're on the radio or you're watching online or whatever, and you're not a Christian, you need to become a Christian because you're literally about to go through hell on earth. And then when you're dead, you're going to go through real hell. It's serious. This is no joke. It's going to be a really, really rough time on this earth. Look at this, verse 41. And he shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. So we're probably talking about the rock city of Petra. We're talking about that area. We're talking about the capital of Jordan and this area here. And my guess is that God is protecting this area because the 144,000 Jews are going to be hiding out in that area. If you look at Isaiah 16, you look at Isaiah 16, there's a call for that. And we actually see the biblical precedent for this. Okay, so it's a pretty powerful thing when you see what ends up happening here. And it's a very, 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 very vivid picture of God protecting his people. By the way, isn't it interesting that the very nation that protects God ancestrally chosen people is the very same portion of the nation that gets completely protected from hell by God. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it more affirmation of the fact that when we support God's ancestrally chosen people, our nation is blessed? A lot of people look at President Trump and they'll say, oh, he's a brilliant president. And people look at the president and they'll say, oh, he's genius. He's a wonderful businessman. And he is. Quite frankly, I think he's probably one of the smartest presidents we've had. He's an absolute genius. Make no mistake about it. He really is brilliant. But what made him brilliant in the maneuvering of what we see now, every area, every aspect is being blessed in this nation. One reason and one reason only, his pro-Israeli stance. His friendliness to the nation of Israel. And he has had people that are around him. In world history, we've never seen so many Bible studies taking place in the White House. There's a lot of people looking at the scriptures and using the scriptures to guide each other and speak to one another. And some of the president's closest advisors, including the Secretary of State, they're making decisions based on their foreign policy, based on what the scriptures are guiding them to do. That's why God has been blessing the nation so much, you guys. you got to think this through for just a second. This is why I absolutely disdain, and forgive me for saying this, I disdain Christian leaders who say that um, it's immoral and reprehensible to support President Trump. You're out of your mind. You are making yourself part of the culture of the Antichrist by thinking that way. It's an evil way of looking at things. This is a guy who's done everything that he can as a president to support the causes of Christ. And we have to support him as a result. I promise you what he's doing is not beyond or is not just a simple political maneuvering to gain the attention of the church. 
I promise you that's not the case because quite frankly, if he really wanted to get the attention of the world and he really wanted to have a lot of political friends, then he would go the way of the world. He would be an abortionist. He would be a full-blown hard-left Democrat because the noisemakers and the ones that never stop fighting no matter what, even when it's peacetime, are those people. And if he really wanted those types of alliances, that's what he would do. But instead, he is trying to wake up this nation, and I believe that God is using him as a tool to bring into this nation an awareness of the responsibility that Christians have to continue to protect liberty and freedom. It's a very, very important thing that we have to look at, guys. Very, very important thing. So God is protecting uh, Edom and Moab at this time and Ammon, the children of Ammon. So this is the area of Jordan, and they're going to be very, very blessed. Anytime I run into a Jordanian, I tell them, you, you guys know your country is going to be very much protected during the last days, and they're always intrigued by that, you know. Uh, but it's, it's very, very true. And he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasuries of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. This is why I especially don't like the Antichrist, right? And the, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east. So basically what this is telling us is these people who have become very angry with the job that the Antichrist is doing, their approval rating of the Antichrist, the final Antichrist drops. And so they come from everywhere to attack him and he mows them down, you guys. He literally just steamrolls them. He just beats the living snot out of them and it's through. And as he finishes beating the living snot out of the last of the nations that have come against him, then we hear in verse 44, Tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And that's exactly what he does. He does extraordinarily good at this. He does very, very good. And this is where we begin to see the battle of Armageddon take place, right? It all comes together. This is where it all happens. And let me just tell you what begins to take place as you see this, right? And then, by the way, there's a lot of people that say this is a 200 million man army of China. I don't believe that. I think that we're talking about literally 200 million creatures as it's described in Revelation. I think that's very literal. I don't think it's some army that we see here. And I think that, again, this is God just bringing in this unsettling and this unrest. And he's about to go forth. And it's very interesting because it looks like he's about to beat him, you guys. It looks like he's about to steamroll all these other guys that are attacking him. And then notice this in verse 45, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. In other words, the Lord's going to open his mouth and say, shut up. He's not going to really say that. I don't know what the word's going to be, but in essence, it's going to destroy him, and he's done, and he's basically going to be thrown in that pit, held, and he's done. He's finished. There, he has no more effect. He has no more ability. It's a wrap, and God will have his way and do exactly what he's going to do. So we know what the end of the Antichrist is going to be, right? We know how powerful he's going to be scary. Listen, if you're a non-believer, you should be scared to death because it's scary. Everything about what's coming is scary. It's very, very, very scary. It's bad, folks. 
There is nothing about what's happening and coming that anybody should be even uh, remotely uh, not worried about. It's a scary time, but if you're a believer, you should be rejoicing because guess what? You won't be there for any of it. Actually, you will be, but you're going to be on the right side of history. You'll be watching it. You'll be on the winning side going, yeah, thank God I'm not going to live any of that stuff, right? That's the power of the Lord. We pray all of this has stirred a desire in your heart to get right with the Lord so that you're on the right side of history when all this occurs. Thank you for joining us today for Light on the Hill. Pastor James Cadiz will be right back. We're studying Daniel here on the weekends. If you missed any portion of the study, log on to lightonthehillradio.com and click on Radio Show or listen through our Light on the Hill app. In the search bar, just type Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. You can also look for Light on the Hill wherever you get your podcasts. God is our great provider here at Light on the Hill, and we look to Him for guidance and provision at all times. If you'd like to stand with us, either through a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit lightonthehillradio.com. You can also give through our Light on the Hill app. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor James goes live on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube every day, addressing the issues of the day from a biblical perspective. He also spends a good amount of time connecting current events and Bible prophecy. Look for James Cadiz on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the Calvary Chapel Signal Hill channel on YouTube. Here's Pastor James with some final thoughts. Hang in there living on this earth. It's a good life that we live on this earth, but it's the closest thing to hell you're ever going to see because heaven is waiting for you. But if you're not a believer, enjoy this time because this earth will be the closest thing to heaven you'll ever see right? So just remember that. Don't forget it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And if you don't have your eyes on Jesus, put your eyes on Jesus. Walk with him. Get to know him. Because listen, guys, the last days for you, if you don't know Christ, are not going to be pleasant. But for those of us that do, and I think, I hope everybody in this room does, we've got a lot to look forward to. We've got a lot to look forward to. We read these stories, and let me tell you, it's pretty glorious. It's pretty glorious. We've got one more study to go in Daniel chapter 12, and we'll have that for you on our next two programs. Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you, cause all I need is